Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. These verses have come to my mind this morning. I don't know if there's someone here who's uh, needing to hear this. I trust there is. But Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So I don't know if that's speaking to someone, but keep in mind, he is the Lord who rules over all, and he's quite capable of dealing with anything that we could face. Amen? Barbara, I think you are going to get to teach today. (laughs) I think you are going to get to teach today. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) Hmm. Well, I I shared about our moving uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, And... uh, I know there are a lot of questions uh, about that. Um, Personally, uh, I've gotten to the place most of the time where when God says to do something, I don't ask a lot of questions. I just do it. And uh, I've had the sense that that there was a lot more going on here than I understood. Uh, a lot more going on than any of us understood. And this morning the Lord gave me a download that just... Ah, <laughs> uh, wow. Uh us moving to First Baptist and and very likely I, I mean it's it's what God's doing. So we're we're gonna be merging with them in into another church that's never existed before. We're not we're not becoming part of First Baptist. They're not becoming part of the vineyard together we're moving into something that that God is creating. And after this morning, I have no doubt about that. Uh, We've we've been a church in transition for about three years. Uh, And being in, in transition is hard when you don't know what you're transitioning to. And so, you know, when Mark was here and and he shared 
the story about the caterpillar and the, the cocoon and, and the butterfly, you know, that, that spoke something deep to my spirit, but I still didn't really understand what what the Lord was doing. Uh, and and I know or I, I knew that part of what God was doing was that we we and and I in particular, but we also were were to be laying down our identity and and being willing to give up uh, the beautiful thing that the Lord has created here because we we have a, a depth of community that I don't think many or maybe any of us have really known before uh, and and so you know to give that up that's that's costly for 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 the unknown uh, but they also are, are they've been in the process of laying down their identity for about the same time period as Jason and I've been walking through a lot of this stuff together and we've we've just become uh, more than <laughs> more than friends uh co-laborers uh, and I, I've never known that before. Uh, I don't think he has either. So then <laughs> when the Lord shared this big picture of what he's doing with me this morning, uh, I was just <clears throat> uh, humbled and uh filled with the fear of the Lord. So I, I'm just going to read this to you because it would be, it's, it's hard for me to keep my train of thought right at this moment. So by merging, we are operating in the opposite spirit of those who would not sacrifice their identity to integrate those who were different and coming to Jesus this is in the Jesus People movement. And we are being prepared for the chaotic growth of revival. So there's a couple things there. This, uh, Chris shared part of what killed the Jesus People revival a couple weeks ago, but this is the other part is that those churches where these young hippies who were coming to Jesus, where they were coming into these churches, and, and the churches were not willing to give up their identity, to give up what they had, to give up what they knew, for these people to be integrated into the body of Christ. And, and so operating in the opposite spirit, what that means is there's, 
there's a sinful there was a sinful spirit at work in that and it was selfishness and and it was not love and it was it was not the kingdom of god and so for us by by operating in the opposite spirit by being humble by laying down our identity by being willing to give up and 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 see here the lord gave me so much and i just i have a hard time even verbalizing <laughs> because i mean those churches where the hippie new christians were coming they they didn't have what we have okay they they had a lot of religion they had a form of something but even that they were not willing to give up the the lord has given us something of value and for us to be willing to give that up to go and and serve another part of the body of Christ and to give away to them everything that the Lord's given us because that's what he's calling us to do. And and let me tell you they're ready to receive it. Cuz the Lord hasn't been doing all this on one side. Okay? <laughs> uh <clears throat> There's there's going to be an explosion of of synergy. Of of one plus one equaling ten, whatever whatever God wants it to be, yes. So that's one thing that God's doing, and and God is God is killing that that spirit. And, and we get to be a part of this. <laughs> he's, he's doing it for the body of Christ, at, at least in America. So this is way bigger than us. It's way bigger than Cheyenne. It's, it's way bigger than Wyoming. The enemy tried to kill Cheyenne Vineyard. but but we but we are choosing the path of Christ no one took his life he laid it down willingly and that's what we're doing for the sake of others And that's why this <laughs> this is going to release something that I just got a little glimpse of this morning. And uh, all I can say is, wow. Uh, and the last thing, at least that I wrote down, was... Uh, we're also bringing healing and operating once again in the opposite spirit 
of one of the most prominent divisions in the body of Christ between the charismatic Pentecostal and the Baptists or just the, the non-charismatic and Pentecostal because that divides. And so for us <laughs> to come together, it's, it's breaking that even. So, wow, yeah, break, break the walls down, yes. So, uh, yeah, if you have any questions, I'm happy to talk with you about this. Um, you know, uh, we have to decide when we're going to meet um, starting in July because we're moving by the end of this month. Uh, I'm I'm going to talk to Jason about the possibility of us meeting at the same time that they do in a different room, different part of the building. And that way we can have joint nursery and children's ministry. And we'll, there will be a lot more interaction. Because I, I just, I, I think that that might might work really good. Sonia? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, go ahead. Just wait, right. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> so, anyway, I, I thought Joy and I were going to be gone today, so I asked Barbara to teach. Um, <clears throat> you know, some of you probably don't realize this, but um, if if you've been licensed or ordained uh, by some group 
Raise your hand. <laughs> that's that's like a third of us. <laughs> I just I want you to see that. <laughs> uh, so what Barbara is going to teach on is one of the enemy's primary strategies right now because he he desperately wants to disqualify people from this. So I, I think this is a, a real timely word, <laughs> Barbara. So come on up. Uh, it's been a, a joy to have Barbara assisting me in, in the office for the last year and a half or so. And she's ordained also. <laughs> Do you want to use this or you want to use that one? That's that's fine. Yes, I I know that. <laughs> when the Lord, um, uh, when Jay talked to me about teaching, I asked the Lord what He would have me say, and He said, "Talk about the spirit of offense." Yeah, that's a good one, huh? <laughs> Thank you, God. Um, but this is not a negative word, so. Don't leave. It's it's a word about uh-huh. It's a word about God's grace and mercy and and how he wants us to be clear of the spirit of offense going forward. And he told me last week that this word is for now because of us going forward. Um, we're coming with people who don't worship like we do for the most part. They have different beliefs than we have. They're on different levels of spiritual maturity. And it's, it's incumbent on both groups to be clear. But um, we have the Holy Spirit on us and in us. And so we can call on him. We know to call on him. So with that, um, let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for revelation and knowledge and understanding and for your presence with us today and your manifest presence, Lord, your Shekinah today in this place. And I ask, Lord, that you give grace to the hearers today and bring your healing in Jesus' name. Amen. In, uh, in Matthew 24, when, um, when the disciples asked Jesus about what will be the signs of the end, he told them about wars and rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, pestilence, people coming to kill his disciples, manifest Horrible things, he said, would happen in the last days. And then he said, many will be offended. Well, that doesn't seem so bad when you put it up against earthquakes and famines. Yeah? But when he says something, it's prophecy. And, and when he says must... There aren't any options. It, it's going to happen. And when we live in a world today where we see a lot of offense, 
and and I won't detail it, but all you have to do is watch the news and read the newspaper. And it just seems to multiply with with time. It gets worse. And and we have to understand that this kind of stuff is going to happen. But we also see with that we're in the last days. So that's an encouraging thing because Jesus is coming soon. Jesus paid the price for all that stuff, for our offenses, the pain of our offenses. His blood covered it all. Even when, when we get offended and people don't mean to offend us, he prayed and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But that covers it all. Not only the guys who nailed him there to the cross, but all of it. Because he, he came through time and space with that crucifixion and resurrection. So we're included in, the, in that prayer. So when, when people offend us and they don't know what they're doing, just pray for them. Um, and there are a lot of reasons why we get offended, why people get offended. Um, circumstances, our makeup, our level of emotional maturity, our past. And Satan knows which buttons to push because he's been around a long time and, and he doesn't have any new tools in his box. He watches and he listens. I found a couple of them in, uh, in the scripture that are extreme, but I think when Jesus was talking about offenses coming, he knew the extremes that being offended can, can go to. So I'll, I'll share a couple. Um, rejection. Um, anybody ever been rejected or felt rejected? If you have kids... Yeah, yeah, and and they've said, I hate you, you know. (laughs) Um, Someone tries to correct us. Um, Once Jesus was preaching to the crowd, and, and I'm going to read the scripture so I get it right, he said to them, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? You think? (laughs) They took offense. Offense can come because of a sense of justice denied, as with Absalom, David's son, when his brother Amnon raped their sister. And David didn't avenge his sister. And we've seen the results of this thing in the riots in in, uh, Missouri recently when that white policeman didn't get convicted when he shot the black man. And that that wasn't the only place. We've seen a lot of that. Um, Here's one that happens to us. Taking up someone else's offense. As if we don't have enough of that anyway. (laughs) Ahithophel um, is a character in David's life. He was the grandfather of Bathsheba. And he was also a trusted counselor in Israel. And the Bible says about him that when he gave counsel, his counsel was good. But he sided with Absalom. And they together tried to build this counter kingdom against David. 
Well, there was a battle in Israel um, as a result of this, and it didn't end well. It ended badly for both of them and the nation of Israel. The Bible says that the battle killed 20,000 men in Israel. I say men because it was men. Um, and the Bible also says, interestingly, the forest devoured more people than the battle did. Yeah, Absalom got his hair caught in a tree and, you know. And, and anyway, you, you can check that out in 2 Samuel 13 and following. And I have to tell you, when I was reading this, it reads like a script for the Game of Thrones or something. And I don't watch the Game of Thrones, but you can't avoid, you know, knowing about this junk. Um, and by the way, this is why Jesus rebuked Peter in the Garden of Eden when he chopped off the ear of the high priest's servant. Peter was taking up Jesus' offense. And Jesus wasn't even offended, go figure. It's like two kids who get in a fight and then their parents come out and the parents get mad at one another and the kids have long since made up and the parents are still, you know, not speaking. Taking up someone else's offense. Jesus rebuked Peter because there's no grace for chopping off ears. God does not honor us taking up a sympathy vote with somebody else. Another reason for offense is unmet expectations. And we see that in the recent elections. I mean, you know, seven months in, and we're still... Um, our, our grandkids are going to look back at this and think, what were you thinking? And, and another one, sometimes the Lord will cause circumstances where we become offended in order to purify us. Francis, Francis Frangipan, the noted Christian author, said, The Lord will often initiate change in us by offending the area of our soul he seeks to transform. He does not expect us to merely survive the adversity, but to become Christ-like in it. And believe it or not, I'll show you this in Scripture in a minute. You see, it's not the offense that matters. It's how we respond. There's an emotional reaction. Our feelings get hurt. We get angry. But it's all a way for the enemy to trap us. The Greek word for offense is scandalon. And it originally referred to the place on a trap, on an animal trap where you put the bait. Um, it signifies laying a trap in someone's way or throwing a stumbling block against us. One of the synonyms for scandal in the dictionary is offense. And in case we need to be reminded, offense is defined as annoyance or resentment brought about by a perceived insult to or disregard for oneself or one's standards or principles. It's ubiquitous. I love that word. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. We, we can't avoid it. And in case you haven't read it, John Bevere wrote an excellent book called The Bait of Satan. 
and I think there's one back there on the shelf. If you haven't read it, it's a really good book. And if, if that one's not there, I have a copy at home you can, you can borrow. Um, we always want to cheat the devil out of a victory, right? We don't want to go down his road. We want to be followers of Christ. We want to kick him in the head. And so, you know, that's, that's another reason for this word going forward. I have two biblical examples to share. There, there are so many more. Um, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. Um, I like to be fair and balanced. Um, but um, I'll give you a disclaimer here. If I say the word you and yours, please don't be offended. <laughs> okay. Um, in chapter 4 of Genesis is the story of Cain and Abel. And um, I'm going to read the scripture. There's so much in here that, that I don't want to miss a detail. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your countenance falling? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord put a mark, I'm sorry, and the Lord said, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, the Bible doesn't actually say Cain was offended, but we can pretty much draw that assumption. Note in verse 5, it says, God had no regard for Cain or his offering. So it wasn't just the offering, like we've heard Bible teachers tell us. And I know the book of Hebrews says that Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. 
But the Bible tells us many times the terms of offering sacrifices. It was Cain and his offering that weren't accepted. If our lives aren't right, particularly in the area of relationships, God doesn't want our sacrifices. It's a stench in his nostrils instead of a sweet-smelling savor. Jesus told us if we bring our gift to the altar and we have someone against someone else or someone has something against us, we should leave our gift there and go and reconcile with that one and then come and offer our gifts. First Samuel relates the story of Samuel talking to King Saul, and he said, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than to sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Verse 5 further tells us that Cain's countenance fell. So we can't hide our anger, not, not from each other as well as from the Lord. So this is where God speaks to him and basically gives him a chance to repent and tells him if he does the right thing, it will go well with him. And if he doesn't do the right thing, there will be even more chances to sin. Basically, he's trying to encourage him to be an overcomer. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Cain's offense came out of his perceived rejection by God and his jealousy over his brother's acceptance. So God goes out and um, Cain, sorry, goes out and has a conversation with Abel. And what they talked about, we don't know. But it resulted in Cain murdering Abel. I think there was a problem here, the sibling rivalry for a while. I don't think it was just over this offering. And this is the first mention in the scripture of sacrificial offerings. So we don't know, we don't know what that was, that was like. In, in the Bible, the grain offering wasn't burnt. So we really don't know what goes on, but in any case, we know what went on between the two brothers. God confronts him on the whereabouts of Abel, and he lies. Bless you. Says, I don't know. And then he asks, am I my brother's keeper? Like, eh. I think he really went over to the dark side on this one because he sassed God back. He just couldn't leave it alone. Here he has another chance to repent and he misses it again not doing well still not doing well but you know it sounds to me like God really loved this guy and and God wasn't operating out of inexperience with humans in this one you know he he wasn't surprised when this happened but he's trying to encourage him. This is a whole new thing for the human race. He's trying to teach him what he's like and what to do. Now, down in verses 13 and 14, after God meets out his punishment, at first I looked at this and I thought, oh, he's having a pity party. I don't think that's what's happening here. While Cain is not actually repenting, it's obvious he's scared. 
And he says to God, my punishment is greater than I can bear. You have driven me from the ground. And notice this, from your face I shall be hidden. God didn't say that to him. That wasn't one of the things that God said. Um, you know, they say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. His mother did that in the garden when, when the snake or the enemy was talking to her. She said, well, he said, we can't eat the fruit or even touch it. So not to say anything about Eve's mothering skills, but, you know, that pollutes, pollutes your gene pool. Um, Anyway, Cain continues, I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. I think he's preying on God's mercy and grace here. I don't know if you'd call this godly fear, maybe ungodly terror, but God says, in effect, anyone who touches you will have to answer to me. And he puts the mark on Cain. I like this, sealed with the mark of God. Mm-mm-mm. So, question, why didn't God take Cain's life? Cain basically got away with murder. And 1 John 3 says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So, there was more going on here than just the offering issue. But... Do you see God's amazing grace here and mercy? Cain knew right from wrong. He even had a conscience. So in that vein, let me throw something out there. The law hadn't been given yet. God gave Noah the first words concerning murder. He said to him, if any man takes another man's life, by man shall his life be taken. But in Romans, it says, For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. And Romans 5.20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. That's a big theological thing there, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Now, in Numbers, it says, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty. And Psalm 66.20, I love this one. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. And James 2.13 says, in part, Mercy triumphs over judgment. So it's not a totally depressing story. Even though Cain was punished, do you think God was hurt about all this? Yes, I, it broke its heart. We should be like our Heavenly Father when it comes to being offended. And if we react to offense, even in our thought life, we can always call on God's amazing grace. Amen? Now, my New Testament story, um, 
I found this interesting. I did a lot of praying and talking to the Lord about this, and I think I got it right. <laughs> I talked to the pastor as well. So, um, Matthew 13, Mark 6, and Luke 4 record the story of Jesus teaching in the synagogue in Nazareth. And Matthew and Mark say the people were offended. Luke does not specify that, but he goes into detail, Dr. Luke. Um, chapter 4, starting at verse 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Oops. Sorry about that. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Keep that in mind when we get to the next couple of verses. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a widow, uh, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. That was a change of heart. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. He just turned around and walked away. It reminds me of that scene in The Passion of the Christ where he was in the garden praying, and the snake is swirling around his ankles and whatnot and, and taunting him. And when he's done praying, he gets up and stomps the snake on the head. Yeah. That's our Savior. <laughs> so what upset the Nazarene so much? Well, he wasn't out of order reading in the synagogue. Their custom was that every Sabbath, seven people stood up to read. A priest, a Levite, and five laymen. So no problem there. But here comes this hometown boy, a carpenter, basically blue-collar worker, who just happens to be illegitimate in the eyes of the townsfolk. 
Three strikes? Maybe. And he starts preaching to them about uh, putting, uh, starts preaching to them, putting himself in the place of Elijah and Elisha, who were two of the most respected prophets in Israel. He talks about God blessing these heathens who they despised and considered unworthy. Scandalous. Scandalous. Remember the quote from Francis Frangipan? Here it is again. The Lord will often initiate change in us by offending the area of our soul he seeks to transform. He does not expect us to merely survive the adversity, but to become Christ-like in it. Now, Jesus knew their hearts, and, and he obviously knew they had a problem of pride and self-righteousness. And I looked up Nazareth, hoping to find something that might have given them some reason to be uh, so smug about him. I found nothing. It was a town of about 200 to 400 people, a small geographic area. Most of the families were extended families. And Jesus and his father and his brothers probably had to go to the neighboring towns to get work. So the only claim to fame Nazareth has is that Jesus grew up there. And that wasn't even that big of a deal then, obviously. But Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And the Bible says he could only heal a few sick people. Now, maybe in the midst of their ire at him, they were not bringing their little crippled daughter or granddaughter to him to heal them, or their little blind child who they desperately wanted help for. While they were pulling him toward the edge of the hill to throw him over, they could have been gathering up their sick folk and bringing them to him for healing. Amen? So sometimes it is God allowing an offense to come to us. We, we have the Holy Spirit, so we can discern, and we should. When, when we're offended, we should yield to God and, and let him take the lead. So how do we not become offended? Well... Like I said, it depends on our circumstances, our makeup. And, and maybe we come from a family where everybody took offense and we just learned it, you know. Um, my family was like that. You, you couldn't say anything to them. Um, one thing the Lord showed me personally was agree with your adversary quickly. Um, if we decide not to take offense, God will help us out with little words or, you know, trust me, he knows how to make, make friends out of enemies. Um, I, I have one example I'll give you. My hearing is diminishing, and my family knows it. And we were over at my sister's one day, and she was admonishing her family not to turn the volume up too loud on the TV. She lives in a, 
We used to call them a half a double, but they're twin homes. Now they call them whatever. And so um, I said to her, I said, well, I don't think Jim can hear your TV, the, the neighbor over there. I said, I can't hear his TV. She said, well, you can't hear people when they're in the same room and they're talking to you, which is true. So I smiled and I said, yeah, you're right. And, and it just diffused the situation. So, um, and, and what happens if we are offended? Remember Jesus' prophecy. We're going to, to be faced with offense. I don't mean to point my finger. I never liked that other man in Washington who did that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> if, if you get offended, if we get offended, talk to the person if you can. Um, and try to work it out. Um, speak the truth in love because love covers a multitude of sins and offenses. But if we know they won't be willing to work it out, then talk to God and see what, what you should do. Not all situations are reconcilable. I like to say you cannot clap with one hand. So put your hand in God's hand. Okay? And sometimes we're dealing with the pain of offenses that occurred decades before. We can't always get back to the offender. Sometimes that person is dead. But we should be able to be free from the offense and maybe the pain of what they did to us. Okay, now, we can't talk about offense without discussing the F word. I said the F word. <laughs> Forgiveness. The one time the disciples asked Jesus to increase their faith involved forgiveness. In Luke 17, he said, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. So sometimes that's what we need. It, it takes faith to walk with Jesus no matter what. Um, but what if someone doesn't repent? Do we still have to forgive them? Yeah, Jesus told us if we don't forgive others, their trespasses, our Heavenly Father won't forgive us. Forgiveness doesn't mean the other person is right. And being mistreated doesn't give us permission to hold a grudge. Offenses will come. Lewis Smeads, um, look him up on YouTube. He is fantastic. He's a, he's a Christian author and th theologian, and he wrote a book called The Art of Forgiving, and yet another one entitled Forgive and Forget, wherein he said... To forgive is to set a prisoner free and find out the prisoner was you. Sounds like the cartoon character Pogo. We have met the enemy and they is us. <laughs> Maybe some of you don't remember Pogo. Is he still in the comic? He had some 
Him and, him and Charlie Brown, they had some good philosophy sometimes. <laughs> if you're bound by an offense, do yourself a favor, forgive. We can't partner with the devil on holding on to offense. Never. C.S. Lewis said, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. Forgive. Release the resentment. And I think we all know the quote by Nelson Mandela. Resentment is like taking poison and hoping that your enemy will die. Give the devil a black eye. Pray for the offender. And pray for them as though they were your very best friend. Don't just say, ask God to get them off my back. You know, I mean, you, you might could pray to ask God, give him what he needs. <laughs> but I'll guarantee he won't do it the same way we would do it. So um, one more quote by, by Lewis Smedes. He said, you will know that forgiveness has begun when you recall those who hurt you and feel the power to wish them well. If we don't deal with the offense, it can easily morph into bitterness. And bitterness is just unfulfilled revenge. When we allow an offense to remain in our hearts, it can cause us spiritual consequences. In the passage in Matthew 24, Jesus said it could, be it could cause betrayal and hatred towards one another. And we saw that in each of the instances of scripture. Um, and we see it in our own country. People just hold grudges and they're not, they're just not going to back down. How many of you know bitterness is a weapon of mass destruction? This walk with God is a battle. Hebrews chapter 12 starting at verse 14, says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. We have to choose to forgive, and we can't wait until we feel like it to forgive. All we need is to be willing. God will take, take it for us. We've all heard of heroic accounts of people who were prisoners of war and they forgave their captors. Recently, this movie about Louis Zamperini when he was in uh, Japan, um, Corey Ten Boom in the German concentration camps. And more recently, and closer to home, the, the people in Charleston whose families were killed and and they made a public declaration, we forgive him. That takes faith and love. Hopefully, we'll never have these issues. But if we have had them, we've probably already learned from God that, that it's more important to forgive. So, after we forgive, then what? Forget about it. Forget about it. No? Yeah. <laughs> so how do we forget? 
the memory's permanent. We can't erase the memory. You know, there was a thing going on years ago about healing the memories. And, and they didn't really get it wrong, but what has to be healed is the pain of the memory because it's still in that hard drive in there. And God may want to use that pain sometime in, in our ministering to people. We may not be able to forget right away, but we can let the Lord heal that pain. But we won't forget if we keep rehearsing the offense. Yeah. Repeating an offense is like picking a scab. That's a spiritual phrase, right? <laughs> the wound never heals. You just keep opening it up. See, our brain responds to the sound of our voice more so than any other sound. And we're told to read the Bible out loud when we read it. And that's the reason. Because it goes in the eye gate and the ear gate. And we get a double portion, right? And it has twice the impact. Now, I, I can't tell you that I remember it more by doing that because sometimes I'll get up from my you know, my reading time, and I'll say, why don't I just read? But I think eventually there's a reason why they told us that. No charge for that one. <laughs> when we, pre we repeat an offense, and we call it venting, our ears hear it and transfers the information to the brain. Now, the mind doesn't differentiate between the first time something happened and each succeeding time that it hears the repetition of it. That's why pornography is so addicting, because the brain registers the sounds and the feelings and the sights. And each time that's experienced, it reinforces that. So that's how an addiction builds in, in, some, in some areas. When we repeat an offense, we're also reliving the hurt. It's like writing these offenses down on another sheet of paper and filing it in that file in our brain called scandal. Okay. I thought that would be funnier than it was. Oh, well. <laughs> the pain remains because our minds aren't being renewed. And it's even being reforced. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted, and we need to let him do it. Now, I mentioned venting, and, and that's not really necessarily a bad thing because sometimes we have to get it out in the open. Um, but we don't have to tell everybody that we see that, you know. And, yeah, <laughs> that's right. I know. Um, but talk to God first. You know, I go to him all the time, and I say, boy, that ticked me off. And usually when I'm watching the news, I, it, you know, it's, uh, you know. Um, but let him take the lead and, and talk to him. And, you know, sometimes he will tell you, go talk to your friend. And, and that's okay if he tells you to do it. So um, how do we not become offended? For starters, we need to guard our hearts against bitterness, that weapon of mass destruction. 
and make sure there's no root of bitterness. Stay in an attitude of humility. Remember the people of Nazareth? James tells us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. I wonder if he remembered that incident with his brother in the synagogue that day. Maybe the Holy Spirit brought it back to his mind when he was writing that. Next, we need to renew our minds. Ephesians 4.23 says, um, be renewed in your mind. And the very next verse says, put on the new man. So it's a, it's a twofold thing, yeah? By faith, we have to appropriate the new heart that God says he'll give us. Ezekiel says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That sounds good, huh? And remember, we're not fighting against those who offended us. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness of this world. We need to use our spiritual weapons of warfare. Now, I know we're all mature in here, and, and we're all probably beyond all this offense and bitterness stuff. <laughs> but if you get around anybody who falls into that trap, take this information and help them. And, and if we preach the word to them about renewing your mind and the F word and the B word, bitterness, God will send an anointing for them to be healed. And, and Kim, you already know this, unforgiveness is the number one blockage to healing. Amen. So, forgetting those things which are behind, we press on toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus and not fail of the grace of God. It's all under the blood, and God is good all the time. And just one footnote. Remember, we can commit offenses too. So I, I don't know if you wanna, you're going to do the healing rooms or however we're going to pray, if anybody has a problem with it. Um, we, have a, we have a great prayer ministry here. So Father, protect us from the scandal of offense and bitterness and resentment that can come. And I speak to any stronghold of bitterness and call it down. And I release the grace of God to heal the wounds of offense. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Barbara. We'll have to have you do this again. Uh, how do you want to do prayer? Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So if you need prayer, uh, we'll have somebody in the prayer room here and probably in Barbara's office. Uh, Judy, welcome back. 
<laughs> so so good to have you back in Cheyenne. <laughs> uh, greet somebody before you leave, and uh, be blessed. Uh, yes. So there's healing room training next weekend, Friday from six thirty to nine, uh -huh. and then Saturday from about nine to eight thirty to five or so. Yeah. So most of the volunteers for the healing rooms uh, are from this body. Uh, most of us have been through the training, but. I don't know how many times Joy and I have been through the training, but it, it's good every time. And that will be at First Baptist uh, rather than here. Uh, and the healing rooms are now meeting on Saturdays at First Baptist.